7.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. What is tomorrow? Personally, I look at tomorrow as a concept. Because I'm one of those that believes there is no tomorrow. Tomorrow is just a concept. It's something you talk about, but when is tomorrow? If you say the day after today, when is today? Today is the moment you're in. Therefore, tomorrow never comes. We always talk about tomorrow I'm going to do this. Tomorrow I'm going to do that. We have to live for today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Matthew 6, beginning at chapter 25, uh, verse 25, rather, says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is not life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. And they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all, these things the Goyim seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We have things that we're dealing with each and every day of our lives. But we can't decide to wait until a future event to start working on those things. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day you complete the things that God wants you to do. Because we don't know where you're going to be tomorrow. We don't know if you're going to be there tomorrow. I don't even know if tomorrow exists. Once again, tomorrow to me is a concept. James chapter 4, beginning of verse 10, says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we would do, go and do such and such to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your ag. Arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. You do not know what will happen tomorrow. We don't even know what will happen today. Why are we looking into the future? 
I tell you, there is one thing that we know about. We know about the past. We know about yesterday. And many times we look at yesterday and we regret what we did yesterday. So the key is on today, we should correct what we did wrong yesterday and move on into what God has called us to do instead of focusing on what might happen tomorrow. There's a song by Chris Tomlin called The Way I Was Made. And these are some of the lyrics. Made in your likeness, made with your hands. Made to discover who you are and who I am. All I've forgotten, help me to find. All that you've promised, let it be in my life. I want to be the way I was made. I want to live like there's no tomorrow. I want to dance like no one's around. I want to sing like nobody's listening. Before I lay my body down, I want to give like I have plenty. I want to learn like I'm not afraid. I want to be the man I was meant to be. The man or woman you're meant to be is what God is directing you to do and is directing you to be. And he wants you to do now. He doesn't want you to put off to later. Later may not happen. Tomorrow may never come. So I want to take a moment and let's think about the life we live. Now, I want to quote Jack Fornay for a second. If I say you, I mean me too. Okay? So don't think I'm lashing out towards you. I need to listen to these words too. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Are you living for God? Are you serving God? Are you doing what He's called you to do? Or are you just doing your own thing? Do you begin the day seeking how God wants to use you today? When we wake and we, begin, we pray for the new day and thank God for the day He's brought us into, do we bother to even ask, what do you want me to do today? Or do we have our own agenda already planned out? And we decide, this is what I'm going to do today. And God's going to bless it. I think we're a little bit out of order. No, God, what do you want me to do today? And I'm going to walk in the blessing of doing your will. Is what we should say. Not, God bless what I'm going to do today. Are we doing what counts for God? Are we doing what counts for the kingdom? Are we just going about our lives just about, it's just about us and our families, but not about others, not about what God wants to see, not what God wants to do. Again, following our own agendas. Or do we live following our, live life following our own priorities? Are we making the most of our time every minute, every hour, every day, Every week, every year, what are we doing? Do we want to do and are we doing what God wants us to do? Or again, have we created our own agenda and say, okay, there's, I'll wait and do that tomorrow. Especially living in America, we're flooded with a whole lot of choices. If I went around the room and started asking, what kind of soap do you use? I guarantee you there's at least a half dozen Different types, brands of soap. Different brands of laundry detergent. Different brands of cereal. Different brands all around us. And none of us agree on them. But we have to choose. We have to make those choices. So we're caught up in the choices. 
Incidentally, that's why I do not like going grocery shopping. Because I hate going in there to make choices. Number two, there's so many books to read. My wife will tell you this. My wife loves all genre of books. And she reads and she reads and she reads. There's so many choices for her to read. Sometimes she can't read everything she wants to read. But are you reading God's Word in the midst of that reading? The choices of all the books that you could read. Many movies that you can watch. Every week at the box office, there's at least a half dozen new releases that you can go out and watch. And some like Netflix. So there's many, many choices of what you can watch. Our lives are inundated with choices. Then we have to figure out, okay, how do we spend our money? What do we spend it on going shopping? Where do we go shopping? What movies do we go to? What movies do we order on Netflix? What do we do with our money? Where do we go eat out? Do we go eat out? Choices, 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 choices. But do our choices include God and what He has for us and what He wants from us? This one's going to probably hit 99% of everyone I'm speaking to right now, including me. There's many ways to spend our time. Texting. Facebook. I'm not going to ask you the question for answer. I'm going to, it's, a, it's just a rhetorical question. But think about in your own lives and in your own day, how much time do you spend texting with your friends? How much time do you spend on Facebook? There's very few zeros out there. How, about you, how much time do you, if you don't Facebook, but you do use other social media, you spend a lot of time. We all do. I am consciously trying to cut back on the time I spend on Facebook. Because it takes time that I could be spending in the Word. It takes time that I could be spending speaking to other people about God and what He's done for me and what He can do for them. All these choices that we have are a distraction. It causes us to take God's purposes, God's will, what God wants for you, and wait until tomorrow. Because I really need to tell this person, I need to answer this chat, I need to answer this text, I need to go back and, and find out what the beginning of this message was so I can respond to it. I'll give you a really good example. One day I saw a post on Facebook from one of my children. Well, I saw the last few comments because those that don't know Facebook, you only see the last few comments. You have to click to see the previous comments. I couldn't figure out what the last comment meant. It's like, what? I don't understand where this came from, especially looking at the original post and looking at this comment. How does that fit? So I have to go back to the previous comments to find out what everybody said. Now, what have I just done? I've chosen to waste more time. But if I didn't waste the time, I would have responded to that final comment and it would have been out of context. So I needed to do that only because I wanted to do that. One of my nephews, his, his very favorite thing to say 
to his parents back when he was younger. Is not, can I have that? Do I, can I want that? No, I need that. I need it. He learned very quickly that wants wasn't good enough. Now, what he needed, he didn't really need. But he learned how to use need instead of want because that's what he actually wanted to happen. Now, obviously, we have to choose, always have to choose, always have to choose the good over the bad, the wise over the foolish things. But much of the time, the real challenge isn't so much choosing from good and bad because we, know, we pretty much all know what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. Sometimes we have to discern between the good, the better, and the best. Because what might be good, because I think it's a good thing to do, might not be, there might be a better thing to do or a better way to do it. But the best way to do it is to find out what God says. How does God feel about this thing? Maybe God doesn't even want me to do it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've found myself many times, because I'm not perfect. I, I, I hate to break that to you guys, but I'm not perfect. Many times, I thought I had the greatest idea. And I'm going to go forward with this idea. Only to find out later that if I had asked God before, it went, before I went out on that endeavor, I would have saved myself a lot of heartache and disappointment. Because it was not what God wanted done. At least not by me at that time. Maybe somebody else might have been able to do it, but not, it wasn't for me to do. So before we make choices of all these things that lay out there in front of us, whether it's an activity, whether it's a purchase, you name it, we have to ask ourselves a few questions. Is this a personal desire or a godly desire? Now, Balak, in the uh, parasha today, he had a personal desire to see the children of Israel, as, as Mouse read earlier, be defeated. He wanted to be the one to defeat. So from Numbers chapter 22, at, starting at verse 5, he says, He sent messengers to Balaam, Balaam the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come to Egypt. They, are, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they are too many for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. We've spoken about this in the past. Balaam was a hired prophet. So those of you who don't know that, he he was a prophet for hire, so he would go out, whoever paid him the money, he'd go out and prophesy for them. He would bless people if you wanted him to bless them. He would curse them if you wanted him to curse. So, Balak was right. Whoever Balaam cursed would be cursed. Whoever he blessed would be blessed. He wanted the Israelites cursed because he wanted to get rid of them before they overtook him. Verse 8, he says, he said to the messengers that Balak had sent, Lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. What's interesting is, even though Balaam was a hired prophet, he knew that the Israelites were God's people. He wasn't just going to blatantly go out and curse God's people just because he's hired to do so. He said, whatever Adonai tells me to do, that's what I will do. Again, he made the choice to seek God and find out what God wanted him to do. Not what Balak wanted him to do. Not the, the boss. 
And then in verse 12, we read that God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. So not only did he not curse them, he didn't even go with them. He sent them back to the king. Verse 15, Balak sent more princes, more numerous and more honorable. In other words, he, he went to the next ranks. He went from the lieutenants to the generals. He said, you go. He figured if I send higher ranking officials, he's just going to do it. He's going to do whatever I ask from him. And he said to Balak, please let nothing hinder you from coming to me. Because he actually wanted him to come to him this time. For I will certainly honor you greatly and, whatever, what, and will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. In verse 20, he says, God's response was this. If the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. This word, Balaam got a little bit anxious and actually didn't listen to what God said. Because he got up and he saddled his donkey. They didn't come to him. God said, if they come to you, then you are to do this. But he didn't wait for them to come. He got up, saddled his donkey, took off. Most of us know the story of the donkey. Uh, the donkey did everything God said. It, it moved away from the angel. And Balaam didn't see the angel, but the donkey sure did. Finally, his eyes were open and God said, okay, now go. But he was angry with them. Did he curse the people? No. But he didn't follow his directions. His directions were, if they come to you, go with them. Chapter 23, beginning at verse 5. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak. And this is what you say to him. So he returned, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Now come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? That was the right response. God already told Balaam, these people are blessed. Don't curse them. So he understood now, I can't curse them because they're already blessed by somebody higher than me. Somebody higher than the other gods that you want me to call out to. But the God of Israel has already told me not to curse this people. So he blessed them again. And Balak says, what have you done to me? I took, I took you to curse my enemies and look, you blessed them bountifully. And Balaam said, Must I not heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? And further on, we, actually, we find out in uh, verse 25, he says, Neither curse them nor bless them at all. Because he, got, he was upset now. Because he sees that Balaam is not going to do what he wanted to do. So he says, you know, Don't say anything. Keep your mouth shut. And he reminds him, did I not tell you, saying, all that the Lord speaks, I must do? He continues in verse 8 of chapter 24 by saying, 
God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with arrows. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. (laughs) Balak lost it. He lost it. He said, I called you to curse my enemies and look, you bountifully blessed them three times. Not once, not twice, three times. I guess, I mean, I could almost see him kicking the dirt and just flailing around like a, a madman, like a little kid that can't get his way because he's not getting his way. Balaam says again, Did I not speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak were to give me this house, his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord and do good or bad of my own will? What the Lord says, that I must speak. So, Balaam had a couple of choices. He could go with the princes of Balak, which he did. But then he had another choice. Do I do what Balak wants me to do? Or do I remember that the God of Israel has already told me those people are blessed? If he blesses them, how can I curse them? So he made a choice. And God did not allow him to do anything but bless them. Another choice we have to make is, is what we're doing or want to do worthy of God's time? I mean, it's bad enough when we waste our own time. But do we want to waste God's time? Seeking after him about petty things that really don't matter, that don't bring glory to the kingdom, don't, don't build the kingdom, don't send, bring the message? Is it worthy of his time? Will it make me a better believer? Or will it tear down my witness? What choice do we make? When do we make the choice? Tomorrow? We can't make it yesterday. Today's the day we need to make choices and we have to make the choices according to what God has called us to do. Will it, and will this ultimately bring glory to God in my life? What I'm doing, am I bringing glory to God? I ask a question, this, I'll ask you this question. Do you want to stand before God one day and have Him show you all the things that you could have done for Him? Because I don't. I want to know what I can do for Him now, today. Well, today is today. So that I can do those things that He's called me to do. Because it'll be too late by that time. There's no way we can do what God wants us to do if we are now, have left this planet, left this life, left this earth. Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some of them unwittingly entertain angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness, Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, 
The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Messiah Yeshua is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have, been prof- have not profited those who have been co- occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Yeshua also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Yeshua from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Messiah Yeshua, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And appeal, and I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written you to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he, if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you, all the saints. From those, in, those from Italy greet you. Be grace, grace be with you all. Amen. To do His will, every good work, according to His will. Not our decisions. Not our desires. Not what we think is a great idea. Find out if God thinks it's a great idea before we act. So how do we spend our time? This is uh, old data, so I'm sure the numbers are much higher by now. But Tom Heyman in his book, In an Average Lifetime, showed that the average American in a lifetime spends three years in business meetings, 13 years watching TV, $89,281 on food. We consume almost 110,000 pounds of food. We make... Over 1,800 trips to, he said McDonald's in his survey, but you can name your own fast food joint. Taco Bell, you know, Burger King, you name it. Jack in the Box. Every American averages almost $7,000 in vending machines. We eat over 35,000 cookies. And almost 1,500 pounds of candy. We catch 304 colds. We're involved in six motor vehicle accidents. Praise God, I'm well under the average. 
Thank you. Hospitalized ten times. Thank God I'm well below the average. And 24 years of our life is spent sleeping. How much time are we investing in eternity? Because that's our ultimate destiny. I mean, we spend a lot of time investing in things that are temporal. You know, we, we buy property, we build a house, we uh, build, we fix up the house, and we improve the house, and we add on to the house. But what is that doing for your eternal destiny, your eternal life? What are we doing for our eternity? What are we investing? What are we doing with our life that will make a difference in eternity? I can't answer that question for you. Only myself. I think it's very clear in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's building up eternity. Thinking about others. Yes, we have to, we have to concern ourselves with ourselves too. Because we have to be healthy in order to succeed in the heavenly things. So we have to take care of our health. Again, what did Balaam say? He said, I'm only going to speak what God tells me to speak. Not what you want me to speak. Regardless what we've done so far in life, we all need to determine to make the rest of our days focused and purposed on glorifying God. That should be our sole focus as believers. We need to go tell the people that don't know about God, that don't know about salvation, that don't know about the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, supposed to spread it to others. Edmund Burke once said, and I'm sure many of you have heard this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And I hate to say it, because I see it every day. See, you guys can know you're exempt because you know I don't see you every day. But I see believers that are doing what I consider evil things. They're not doing the good. I want to challenge you with a couple of questions here. Do people know when they see you whether you're a believer or not? on your jobs, at your, wherever you are, the grocery store, do they know? Has anyone ever asked you? Because sometimes they might see it in you, so they ask you. I got one for you, though. Has anybody ever accused you of being a believer? What a great accusation. That would be a great accusation for someone to come up and accuse me. You're a believer, aren't you? Sadly, nobody's ever accused me of being a believer. But it'd be great if they did. Because then I know I'm doing the right thing. Are you showing it by your actions? By your life? By the words you speak? Many people are very in tune to what you say. Whether they're believers or not. And what you say causes them to look and say, He's not really a believer. She's not really a believer. They're just acting like it. 
because they heard your words. Your words don't identify you as a child of the king. Opportunities do not have a shelf life. They are here today and they're gone tomorrow. Again, tomorrow is a concept that doesn't exist in my mind. I'll give you four quick examples here. Many of you know, know that several years, I believe it was about five years ago, Jerry Ishizaki suffered a heart attack on the way to the Arab Christian Messianic Jewish Fellowship. And most of you already know that what he suffered was a widowmaker. The widowmaker is the worst type of a heart attack that a person can suffer. Most people don't live through a widowmaker. Fortunately, God wasn't ready to take Jerry home. Kathy got him to the hospital. They administered all the tests and all the drugs and everything else. And he's still with us today. But we didn't know whether he would be with us. He didn't know that he was going to have a heart attack. We didn't know he was going to have a heart attack. He was going to another fellowship meeting. Going on with life. A former supervisor of mine at uh, Albertsons, he actually was the one that hired me at Lucky Stores before Albertsons bought them, uh, Dave Perry. We were just in, co- in contact with one another, and he was looking at the possibility of reinstating me at Albertsons. And the last communication we had was like on a Thursday, I believe it was. I got a call on Monday morning from one of my friends that actually still works there, said, you're not going to believe this. Dave died yesterday. No warning signs. I mean, he wasn't in perfect health. There's no warning signs. He didn't have any history of strokes or mild heart attacks or anything. But he's gone. Just like that. He had plans. He had a, actually had plans for me tomorrow. I didn't count on that happening tomorrow. Because you know how I feel about tomorrow. Real good friend Dave Scarborough. I used to run San Diego route with him every day, Monday through Friday. We'd go down together. We'd stop for breakfast every morning together. And we'd wait for each other at the end of our routes to come back up into Orange County. And I found out from one of his coworkers that he had a massive heart attack and died. Again, he wasn't in the best health, but there was no indication that that was his time. I didn't even get to say goodbye to any of them because it was sudden. It was right now. I couldn't control any of it. God was in control. There was no tomorrow for any of them. Dustin Brooks, he was a client of mine. He and his wife and two boys moved down to Georgia and remained clients. And so one day, Betty calls me up and says, John, Dustin's gone. What do you mean, Dustin's gone? You guys getting a divorce? He said, no. She said, no, Dustin is gone. Now, the thing between these three people, they were all, it was all sudden. I was shocked. Everyone else was shocked. The unfortunate part was none of them were believers. 
none of them, unless they made a dying declaration, they're not going to be with us in eternity. They're not going to be in the kingdom. We have to live like there is no tomorrow. Today is the day to go and do what God has purposed us to do. Today is the day to go out there and tell others what we know. Tell others what they need to know. If they don't receive you, that's fine. You've done your part. Move on to the next person. Last year, all of, most of you know about the Harvest Crusade. Angel Stadium packs out every year. And, and they, they did it in uh, Dodger Stadium the last couple of years. Last year's stats were this. There were 105,000 people that attended the Harvest Crusade. That's down from past years, but it's still significant. But here's the good part. Over 9,200 people answered the call to receive Yeshua. During that same Harvest Crusade at the stadium, people were attending online. Over 78,000 people watched online. Another 622 people answered the call to receive Yeshua. The Harvest Crusade may not be your thing. It's not my thing. But your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, that's your Harvest Crusade. That's your audience. That's the ones you should be reaching out to. Sharing with them what you already have and give them the opportunity to accept Yeshua. Because tomorrow's not certain. What if tomorrow never comes? Because it won't. There is no tomorrow. It's not promised. I'm going to close with the, the lyrics that I've kind of reworded a little bit from a song by Garth Brooks called If Tomorrow Never Comes. Many of you may know this already, but I'm rewording it. I'm going to just take a few, few, few of the, the lyrics from that. If I never wake up in the morning... Would he ever doubt the way I feel about him in my heart if tomorrow never comes? Will he know how much I loved him? Did I try in every way to show him every day that he's my only one? And if my time on earth were through and he must face this world without me in it, is the love I gave him in the past going to be enough to last? If tomorrow never comes. Because I've lost loved ones in my life. Who never knew how much I loved them. Now I live with the regret that my true feelings for them never were revealed. So I made a promise to myself. To say each day how much he means to me. And avoid that circumstance where there's no second chance to tell him how I feel. If tomorrow never comes. Abba, we do thank you and we praise you that you give us the opportunities each and every day to reach out to the lost. To share with them your good news. To reach out for those that are in need and help them. To reach out with our words. Bestowing blessings upon them. Praying for them. Inviting them to be a part of what you are doing. Abba, we just know that 
There's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friend. And we know that all children in this world, young or old, belong to you. And Yeshua, if we call ourselves your friend, we have to be their friends. Give us the heart to reach out. Give us the heart to seek after those that are lost. Give us the heart to be your ambassadors in this world. Give us the desire to do what is right. Not looking to tomorrow, but looking at today. What can I do for you today, O Lord, that will make a difference in your kingdom? We bless you. We glorify your name. Shem Yeshua. Amen.